This is the Sandman on TV Podcast Industries, and we're discussing the Sandman, Chapter 5, 24-7. So what do you have, handsome? May I ask, you don't really think I'm handsome, do you? No, of course I don't. Then why did you call me that? Why did you lie? I don't know. I I guess I was just trying to be... I just wanted to make you feel... I wanted you to like me. I do like you. I like this version of you much better, don't you? Isn't it a relief to tell the truth for once? Don't you wish we could live in a world where we could say what we actually think? I do. Well, it starts with us, Bet. You and I, we're going to change the world. Make a more honest one. Welcome back, fellow dreamers, and for those of you who like to be nightmares, this is TV Podcast Industries, and we're discussing The Sandman, Chapter 5, 24-7. I am one of your hosts, 24-7, known as Chris. I am one of the hosts, Derek. And I am the third and final dreamer of the group. I am one of your hosts, John. Are both of you also known by your names, those 24-7, or is it just like 24-6, 24-5, do you go 18-4? No, I'm 8-5. I'm oh, 8-5, oh, that makes sense, yeah. Nice, yeah. nice, I'm, yeah. I'm always Derek, yeah, always your host, Derek. <laughs> Gents, we got to a very iconic episode. Yes, we did, yes, 24-7, probably one of the most uh, well-known and... Uh, Often only read once, and I've heard lots of people say they'll only watch the episode once. Uh, we'll talk <laughs> about the details of that. But first up, some really good news in case you didn't go on Netflix this weekend and missed all the notifications. An 11th episode of Sandman has been released on Netflix right now. The first time the show has ever done that. Uh, first time Netflix has ever done that. Uh, released one episode of a show a couple of weeks after the, the rest of the series has come out. Uh, the Dream of a Thousand Cats and Calliope are both released now, available to watch. So if you've already been through the season once, go back, watch episode 11 uh, as an extra little treat for you. They're both standalone episodes. Um, as far as I know, not any spoilers for anything that happens during the 10-episode season. So uh, really good idea. It was, uh, it, was, it was how they sold the show to all of the streaming networks when they were originally producing it through Warner Brothers. They were, when they were reselling it on, they told them they wanted to do this 10 episodes and then these two stories separately uh, coming out a few weeks later. So everybody that they were selling it to knew that's how they were going to be getting the show. Not gonna cool. Ooh, the dirty liars. I think John <laughs> Dean needs to get involved, really, uh, on this one. Uh, well, although God only knows what the state of the, the TV industry would be after that if they told no lies. <laughs> well, it would be exactly the same. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> sure. Sure it would. Oh, yes. And one other thing to say, um, we do not have a second season of Sandman confirmed, but 
as uh, announced, I suppose, by Neil Gaiman uh, online, he said that Netflix will make a decision after one month of the show being up for streaming, and they count the numbers of completions of the entire series. So if you're savoring this like we kind of are, um, finish up the season within a month uh, of the release date. <laughs> yes, watch it. Your numbers will count. And then you can watch again watch it now. to go along with us uh, like we're doing. So I think I've seen every episode so far uh, three times. Um, so those are counting to the numbers. And I know, John, that means you've seen them at least three times. Yeah, <laughs> well. I'm only actually up to episode six. Right. right. <laughs> I, I am literally as far as we are. Uh, I have... Oh, no, I lie. Oh my six. goodness, right, yes, John I D. Lied. Come on, John I, D. John D is coming after me. <laughs> uh, I got to six because of the iconic nature of what is six. Um, it got spoiled to me and it's like, I'm going straight into it. I will binge into the next episode. There you go. So I have. But again, luckily, this is very much like a um, anthology series to a degree at certain points mm-hmm. where there is very strong connective tissue. But you could watch some of these episodes completely out of order and not have too much spoiled for you. Um, so I, I enjoy it in that way. But should we jump into it? Because there is going to be some definitive spoiler-filled discussions <laughs> yes. on this episode. Because I am going to get dirty and dark and bring up some very interesting questions when we start watching this because uh, we have the newbie and the expert mm. in this podcast, so it's going to be a good one. Do we need to recap who those are in case uh, our, our fellow dreamers are only joining us for this episode? It might be worth it. I'm the newbie. Mm-hmm. I'm John, the newbie. Yep. I'm the pusher. I'm the one that's uh, been reading this since uh, since it first came out back in 1989 onwards, and I'm the one that has been pushing my fellow hosts to read the books, but eventually yes. got them on to watching the series. <laughs> yes, and I'm the f- I'm the new addict. I'm the one that uh, Derek just gave me the first hit being free, mm-hmm. and then after that, I had to pay him for his knowledge going forward. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have finished all the comic books, yes. but only recently. I've only read them all once. Excellent, but. Should we get into it? Because mm-hmm. I really want to discuss this. So I will say the iconic lines. Derek, do you want to tell us who gave us what? Absolutely. Executive producers of the show are Alan Heinberg, Neil Gaiman, and David S. Gore. This episode was written by Amina Rossa. Uh, she's previously worked on the excellent show Yellow Jackets. If you haven't checked out Yellow Jackets, go check it out. It's an excellent uh, first season out so far, second season in production right now. Yeah, really is. Loved it. Uh, and certainly good for the old uh, horror or terror chops. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And episode once again directed by Jamie Childs, who directed episode two, three, four, and this episode. Good stuff. On goes the Jamie Childs uh, continuity train. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for Sandman Chapter 5, 24-7? Sure. With dreams ruby in hand and Morpheus caught off guard and unconscious, John D. stops off at a diner to watch the people around him, encountering the polite employees and hungry patrons. But all is not what it seems. As John settles into his booth and his hot black coffee, he uses the ruby to remove any lies from the group and put his theory about truth and lies to a terrifying test. John D. begins with server Bet and removes her kind demeanour towards her customers. He then turns his attention and that of the ruby towards power couple, husband and wife Gary and Kate, to just be honest with each other as they squabble over spinach salad and double-decker burgers. 
as Bette's love interest Marsh is also exposed to the scrutiny of John's Ruby as he forces a matter-of-fact confession that the only reason he comes to her home is not to be with her, but to be with her 21-year-old son, Bernard. As John turns his vision of absolute truth onto Judy, who has recently broken up with her girlfriend, and on Mark, a hopeful employee of Vanguard Pharmaceuticals, the unconnected group spirals out of control with one another. Judy kisses Bet as Kate gets down with hopeful employee Mark, and her husband Gary hooks up with Marsh. As John D. takes pride in the honesty he has brought to the diner, he has also brought about jealousy and anger overtakes these innocent people when Mark accidentally murders Gary, driving them to murder each other or take their own lives. The Lord of Dreams arrives too late, but tries to explain to John that what he thinks are lies are another form of dreams and hopes. But John refuses to listen to him and Morpheus transports him to his realm to retrieve the ruby, but where John has other plans, as he uses the ruby's power to defeat Morpheus. Crushing the ruby in his hand, John exults in his victory before Morpheus reveals himself and tells him that by destroying the ruby, its power was released and reforged back into its true master, Morpheus. Taking pity on John, Morpheus returns him to the institution, seemingly in a state of long-term sleep. With the wider world also recovering from John's intervention, Morpheus's sibling Desire plots against him. So this is very much an episode which I want to subtitle Sex, Lies and Job Interviews. Mm. Yes, yeah, that would work. Some sort of... <laughs> and then death. <laughs> oh, yes. But death is inevitable. It is the one death that all people play. That yes. is true. And actually, I really enjoyed um, that line in this. You can tell that Neil Gaiman uh, is a writer mm-hmm. in terms of this line, as well as, you know, the writer of, of the teleplay. And um, just that Beth is a writer as well as, as doing her waitressing. Uh, but I love the line that's the problem with stories is if you continue them long enough, they all end in death. Mm-hmm. Bet just knows where to stop them to get the happy ending. Exactly. As I, I really, really enjoyed that line. It's just that great perspective of, of a writer, mm-hmm. uh, thinking about what they do, you know, Absolutely. that kind of self introspection just coming out onto the screen and into this episode so i really enjoyed that yeah excellent so gentlemen let us dive into our full spoiler filled discussions our top moments for this so i suppose derek do you want to kick us off with kind of the the the, the first moment if you will yeah let's just um let's just talk a little bit about john himself um and his interaction with this group of people as he gets in because it starts from his first moment speaking to bet they have that uh that conversation about why he's here what he's here for and he's saying uh she's asking has he had a good day and he's kind of going well yes things are looking up things are becoming really positive and he shows her the ruby saying this is what's causing it because he's about to create a new world, something that will be filled with honesty. Um, and that replies to him, honesty is the best policy. And that kicks everything off that moment where she's bought into effectively the argument that John is selling, uh, not realizing what it's going to do to everybody in that, in that diner. Um, I just think that's a really interesting kickoff because if you hear John, he's, 
uh, throughout the whole episode, actually, he's watching on to see these people lie to each other. And as they do, he's almost willing them not to. But as he finds out that each person has their own lies going on or their own secrets or their own white lies, whatever it is they're telling themselves, he's judging them and deciding for them that they're going to start tell start to tell the truth to each other from now on. That's it. I mean, you you really get that lovely red glow coming from mm. underneath the, the table uh, or just where he's sat at the, the diner bar and, and it's just glowing in his hand as mm-hmm. he's sort of commanding it, you know, and, and using it. It's just that notion of unsuspecting victims mm-hmm. in, in this, which is the most terrifying part of this, is yeah. that he's sitting down and like you say, ultimately to get a coffee and food but it's a conversation with bet that kicks it off and all of a sudden they are this unsuspecting unsspecting victims here and mm-hmm. um, where he's orchestrating this world without lies you know as you say he's he's dreaming of a new world order using the ruby and um, looking for that more honest world and it, it, you know, it's Bet effectively doing a throwaway line to be polite and caring to her customer base of, well, handsome, you know, what do you want? And he's mm-hmm. taking issue with that. Well, do you really find me, me handsome? Mm-hmm. And I mean, David Thewlis is just superb in those moments of just being in the background of shots, mm-hmm. kind of looking on. But the, I think the best one is between, Kate and Gary were there's what you know Kate wanting Gary to have what she's having a spinach salad and in effect Gary whilst he orders that he he's looking at getting a burger because mm-hmm. it's their anniversary and it just pa- it just pans back to John D sort of almost kind of leaning forward anticipation of what they're saying and then looking really sort of downtrodden that he that Gary doesn't order the double decker burger yeah, yeah. <laughs> just that he gives in and lies to his wife yeah, um, effectively. Uh, you know he's he's effectively telling her what she wants to hear and and that's again putting it in John's mind this is not the way the world should be and I have the power to change that yeah yeah, yeah. I think the other thing about what makes this quite so horrifying and tense is just the simplicity of mm-hmm. what John D wants. It's basically, I don't want anyone to lie. It's, yeah. it's not particularly complicated. And all of a sudden it, but it's not about the big fat lie or the little white lie and everything in between. It's just lying as an entity mm-hmm. that is stopped. And so these moments of, Bet, in a sense, just being polite and welcoming and complimentary, mm-hmm. turn into something far darker in in John's mind, and it, that is what is fascinating about this episode to me. Yeah, same for me. It, it, when it comes down to the the the, as you said, that simplicity, that kind of like, it, it's almost childlike. Mm. Yeah, it's- in, in in that kind of like. I, I can have anything in the world and I don't understand why people are doing the thing that goes against my, what I want. So therefore I will stop you doing that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it even spans back to, well, pretty much like the, what the beginning 
like two episodes ago, where John D is speaking to his mother, mm-hmm. and there did there was that for your birthday I got snow, I got a horse, like yeah, he was given everything he wanted. Yeah, so with this power, with this ruby, he is able to force his will. He's able to push people to a point where it's like. No, 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 I don't like this. You are doing something I'm not enjoying, so therefore you're going to stop. Yeah, yeah. And it's really kind of, um, it's actually really topical as well in that, you know, it, it, John's need for simple black and white and then refusing to accept anything that's grey yeah. in, in terms of that, discourse where everyone wants a yes or no answer or you know whether politics is polarized and the nuance or circumstance or or whatever it might be that gray in between just isn't able to breathe or or be received rationally because of this yes or no answer and there becomes really like here unintended consequences Mm. for other people in holding just that simple answer yeah you know or that that morally absolute position yeah. of, of what you want to have and it, it it's really really very terrifying yeah. um as portrayed here and as i say you know the setting of this situation in a diner which is the kind of place that you go in you have a very basic chat with the people that, that you might be meeting just for that five or ten minutes when you're getting served all standard pleasantries that are there. I don't think any one of us, if you were, if someone sat in front of you and said, I wish we lived in a more honest world, I think every one of us would respond the same way as Beth does. Yeah, absolutely. Honesty is the best policy. That's the way the world should be. Not realizing what it would really be like if every single person told the absolute honest what's exactly inside their head at that moment. Um, one thing I do want to talk about here, this is, as I said before, this is one of the, uh, the most well remembered, I suppose, of the early stories from the Sandman comic books. And it is very different. The, the things that John twists this group of people to do are very premeditated. He's not, he doesn't just deliver this overarching thought of, they can no longer tell lies, which is the premise of the Jim Carrey movie, Liar Liar, actually, uh, as I think about it here, but much more funny <laughs> consequences than that one. Um, but he actually twists them to battle with each other. He actually twists them all to have an orgy and have sex with each other. Here he's seeing the uh, consequences of just them not lying playing out. So it's a, it's a much more well thought out story in this sense because it, it plays out much more visually. But I'm interested to know, especially for you, John, given that you haven't read the subject matter. Um, I'm interested to know people who didn't know how the episode were going to end, how they felt the episode progressed because me looking at it, knowing what was coming, I was going, okay, well, you just have to get through the basic startup, this basic premise of all these people sitting in a room together to kind of see where the story goes. And I wonder if it turned a few people off because it was very much just a conversation in a diner gets progressively more ratcheting up of the tension. I think it could have done, but it, it's actually a huge payoff because it's not only the simplicity, but it's just the ordinary, it's the ordinariness of the situation Mm. it is people you know who are hungry wanting to get something to eat 
enjoying an anniversary. It's people who are waiting to go and get interviewed, sort of trying to have 20, 30 minutes, mm-hmm. um, grabbing a coffee. Someone who's a regular but has had something traumatic um, happen in their life. Yeah. And there's the staff going about their day-to-day whilst also dealing... So it's it's not just the simplicity of what John's trying to do. It, it's the imposition of that also onto the ordinary situation that mm-hmm. this diner represents. And, and you could, you know, you could put it in, in, in a, in a, a restaurant. You could put it in a library. You could put it at where a, sh- a supermarket, wherever it might be. And it's just that, um, tension, uh, that ratcheting up mm-hmm. of what, happens between these groups of people um which is just what's fascinating about it and i think um but i could see that it might be difficult i mean mm. it wasn't anything to do with the story it's just because we were watching it late yeah. and so i it took me three times to actually get to the end of this because i just fell asleep but i was because we were watching it really late it'd been long days and i yeah. just was knackered. I was going to fall asleep no matter what. It wasn't anything to do with it because I was enjoying it until yeah. my eyes just gave way. And yeah. um, but you didn't I, have to share that, but I'm glad you did. Um, yeah, well, I knew that's what you were guessing <laughs> at when you no, asked me the question. No, I um, promise. There's there's some feedback that I I will get to later on in the episode. But well. I can also just see that if you don't know where it's going, it's you need to. It, it's sticking with it, mm. you know. And I think it it's you know. I've watched it through twice now, and I think the second time, I I really enjoyed it more, mm-hmm. and because it's just the other aspects. Because you are listening in on conversations, but I think you, I think you're able just to pan back. So I mean, I, I love the idea that yes, this is happening as well in the diner, but there's elements of the outside world uh, and what John's dream is for a new world mm-hmm. and an honest world and a world only with truth that is playing out um through the weather forecast and and the news bulletins uh the one i really enjoyed was as everyone is getting it on effectively mm-hmm. in the diner you have the 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 two pandas at a zoo in in china that have finally started to mate yeah um, you know, so and the commentary from the newscaster going, I can understand why they didn't want to have sex. There's only a thousand left in the world. What if you're not into that particular pattern? <laughs> exactly. Given this really honest commentary out there as well. And of course, which at the end you suddenly realise, you know, it's not just been in that diner yep. where this um, imposition of John has been taking place. It's just the, it's the focus of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so and even just seeing the storm building and building outside as well as this great atmosphere of the rain hitting the windows, seeing the the trees outside moving uh you know uh in in the silhouetted against the sky, just yeah. really good. Absolutely. So I'll a quick before we get into the, the details of the people and places mm-hmm. and animals and things, is it reversed at the end? The like the Armageddon level event where everyone is still like has been lying and sorry everyone could not lie and we see that it's that kind of that ripple effect has the the focal point okay is the diner Mm -hmm. but there's a ripple effect out and we do see a kind of car being like kind of just not like a bit smashed up outside Mm. um because we do go into a late the next episode not really mentioned and i'm like like this was like 
the zombie 28 days later kind of kind of yes um, so morpheus has a conversation with matthew at the end of the episode that he can no longer do anything about it because those events have taken place he doesn't have a time turner or yeah. any kind of time machine to turn it back but what he says is now that the control of john has been lifted people will have to just wake up tomorrow morning and deal with the consequences and then that it's the time for them to rebuild time for them to come back because that's what happens. It's not that no tragedies in the world have ever happened. It's that everybody will wake up tomorrow and have to just deal with the tragedies that did happen. Yeah. But they can't blame anything because they'll have no idea what it was that caused it. Well, um, he, he says the world's been broken mm -hmm. and that John revealed the wounds that were hidden. Yeah. Uh, but it will start to mend itself. Um, but it won't be instant effectively. Because, yeah. But I, I know what you mean because I, I was wondering myself... Because I'd seen episode six, but to what extent that's happened, I don't know whether maybe it's less powerful as you yeah. move away from yeah. from John D. I guess not, because it's 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 the ruby, so it must be all encompassing for humanity. Yeah, it, it's it, it's more the news reports that are on there, and it, it doesn't give too much detail about it. But not every single person that has had to tell the truth overnight will have ended off in the situation that the people in the yeah. diner are, and they are being much more intensely pushed towards it because John D's right there. But yes, the impact is being felt. You hear about a gang attack, or a gang forming and attacking a, a police, uh, police station. Um, you hear about lots of, uh, fires, burnings, uh, killings, shootings. Yeah. Uh, you hear about a lot of that going on in the news where that's the kind of stuff that you're talking about, Chris, where it's like 28 days later or like a zombie movie where these reports are coming into the news, but you don't really know how many of them there are around the world but there are definitely instances that are happening and you don't know how far john would have pushed it would he just have walked out of the diner and just continued to extend this around the world was it just starting the impact as you yeah. say you know uh, surrounding the diner and, and going out in waves or you don't really know that but you know by the end of the episode it has finished his impact has finished and that everybody now has to rebuild um which is something that humans have to do when bad things happen yeah I, I do wonder and kind of hope that maybe we get like a reference to it later or that maybe because we now know desire is plotting maybe there is more to it than that maybe this is like it is brought back in a later situation but anyway Perhaps. let's move on if you will by moving backwards <laughs> to the middle where so do we want to discuss kind of the individual kind of the like bet and march yeah, that sounds good to me. Um, I think um, Bet's really interesting to me, actually, mm -hmm. um, because I think you get the sense that in the end, she's a good person. And and a bit like with Rosemary um, from the previous episodes, that, you know, John D seems to take quite a nice like liking to it in some sense i, I guess mm. he just has, doesn't have an amulet of protection to give her so i i guess but like and and maybe it's just the way john d's personality his intonation it's all very polite it's all quite yeah. measured mm. it i think it gets a little bit more pointed towards the end of the episode for sure but this initial meeting you you, you don't necessarily get the sense of what's happening and i think Beth ultimately comes across as a a, a a nice person, you know, doing waitressing, um, 
slightly misunderstood by people, you know, she, oh, and maybe even her own skills slightly misunderstood in the sense she does say, I have a sense about people. Mm. She didn't about John. And I mean, Judy does a, a bit of a, a quip about that, uh, yeah. when, um, Gary and Kate come in for their anniversary because she has gotten them together. But ultimately, you know, it, it's like the compliment to, to John D. It, it, it's just, a compliment and and being friendly. Hmm. So having said that, you know, she has her views about Judy, but then she's also maybe not taking it quite as far with Marsh. It's it's someone that, so the, the the chef or the cook in, in the kitchen behind, you know, she most definitely has an interest there and yet what comes out of that and certainly at the beginning you really get the sense that marsh is less enthusiastic anyway Absolutely. Um, whether that is because he isn't that enthusiastic yeah. which i'm guessing given what comes out um in the the tell all mm. but i really enjoyed how that played where she you know she put on her lipstick waiting for him to come in and um, mm-hmm. And then goes to speak to him, but then it all becomes very awkward and she's not able to sort of ask that question until later on once the Ruby, cause she wants to, she's basically being forced to be honest yeah. and tell the truth. And she questions Marsh, uh, the cook about, you know, why when he comes over or doesn't he want to spend the time with her? And, mm-hmm. and he, she gets the, the brutal, honesty back which is he's upstairs banging a son um or vice versa mm-hmm. um once she's fallen asleep in front of the tv so yeah he's still, um, he's still honest about the fact that he does enjoy having dinner with both yeah. of them and then having sex with their son you know at least he's exactly. still honest about that you know he enjoys her company but not for anything else basically um it's interesting yeah because again john treats her with an interest until he realizes that she's a liar like everybody yeah. else. That's kind of what I would say. It's not that she's the same as Rosemary. Rosemary, he found out actually was a very honest person and a very kind and a very sweet person to him. And that's why he didn't kill her at the end of the last episode, different to the comic books, as we mentioned before. But here he is um judging her until he realizes yes. he can twist her. Uh, or he should twist her like he's going to twist the rest of the world. But he was doing um, that to Rosemary as well. So that's what him, he was judging her. If she, I mean, my kind of feeling on with Rosemary was, you know, if she had said the wrong answer in the car, who knows what would have happened. Mm-hmm. That was my feeling. But she said the right answer mm-hmm. and got a very different response. Yeah. Here, but now he now he has the jewel in hand, yeah, so well, he's actually able true. to do something about it. This time is the big difference. But he the had the characters. jewel at the end when he went back out to the car. I just mean I think he's always judging, mm. and it's not to say that he wouldn't have just gone ahead with it because the purity of his view is, even though it was a complimentary lie in a sense to be friendly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that annoys him. Yeah, bet for me is. The, the the least despicable to John. It's only later on when like the the further he delves into her, into her what she does, who she is, and it's more that mm-hmm. 
she's lying to herself that that's why he really yeah. the, the ultimate trigger point for him on her um because the rest of the 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 restaurant goers they're the ones where he feels are the the worst offenders mm. to the to the lies yeah. to the truth and well yeah yeah but i i think he's judging them all equally and then he's kind of uh, as you said in the synopsis john he wants to test his hypothesis if he removes yeah. lies from the world does it make a great a better world he still thinks it does by the end of this episode remember this is still a villain um but, but but i suppose importantly and again to quickly go back to the comic book version of this character he is a dc villain this dr yeah. d this character uh john d is a dc villain and very similar to those crazy kind of dc villains who are very dark willing to murder people around them for no reason there's a moment in the comic where at the as everybody in the diner realizes what john d's done to them they ask why are, why is he doing it to them and he goes because I can, because I have this ruby here and I can do whatever I want to, basically. Uh, he's become a really strong, powerful villain. There is a bit of that moment in here in, in John, but I think they've made him a little bit more understandable in a way. It's not that I side with John D by any mean at all, but they've made it his motivation there. They've given a, him a motivation. He wants to have an honest world because of his upbringing, and he feels this is the way everybody should should. Um, live their lives and if some people die because of that well that's what they should have done well yeah. that's it it's the quiet terror of the last episode with john d and rosemary mm. but where in the end he's implementing what he wants from the world mm-hmm. um and that's the added just terror of all of this is that he's no longer just the polite guy on the back seat of a car yeah. se- seeming inquisitive he is that as well. And that's, it's the unsuspecting nature of his victims that, that's coming through. Um, I think as well, I definitely agree with, um, with Chris. I think as well, it's the element or it, it points to that, the element that Beth is lying to herself mm-hmm. in that on the one hand, she's got her diner crush on, on the cook in the background. Mm-hmm. Yet as things progress through, um, her and Judy, get it to get you know the honesty there of love and that she accepts with judy mm. through through the kiss that that's a read of it i think the way i read it in the show and again like, these are all it's all it is all different uh from how it's done in the comic book um but the way i read this in the show is if you're really honest with yourself it's about who you match with it's not really as straight down the line as that's your perfect match. The person you happen to come into every single day who cooks in the back room, that's definitely your 100% match. I think there's kind of a caring nature of Beth towards um, Judy. Uh, we hear her specifically say that Judy's not good enough for her girlfriend, Donna. Um, we do hear her say that she'd be able to get any man in town, of course, which is a highly offensive thing to say about a person who she absolutely knows is in a lesbian relationship with her girlfriend. But it's because of that caring nature between the two of them that it gets taken further than it probably would have um, otherwise. I'm not too sure whether it's saying that she's a lesbian and that and she's just ignoring that side of herself to go with Marsh. I don't know the episode's saying that. But even but. just the caring nature, I mean, I, I guess this is the point. It actually, you strip everything back hmm. that John D is doing and whether that's lying for even just, you know, social acceptance or whatever yeah. or whether it's because of a caring element 
it completely can go in any direction. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's the thing with Beth's story. I think it's it, that piece particularly is open to interpretation because her response to it is she knows something is going on and that's when she confronts John D. is yes. after that kiss or after that's they've true. had sex, in fact. Yeah, that's um, true. That yeah. she gets up after and goes, hang on a second, something is really wrong here. Um, so it's a really interesting story between the two. Pull in from the comics, Beth, interestingly, you say about her lying, her, lying to herself in the comic books, she feels she's lying to everybody, lying to them, saying that she's a waitress when actually she's just writing her books from their experiences. And she feels she's going to run away one day, get those books published and become a world known author. And all of these people have just been feeding her writing. That's that yeah. she's been stealing their stories, almost, okay. which I think is really interesting. And again, even though that's not at all in the way it's described in the show, I like that it's come across as her, um, lying to herself about her abilities almost yep so speaking of that let's move to the other the other patrons of um because they have less they and it's not to say that like it, it is bet is the the, the 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 focal point bet is the main character absolutely the rest of them to a degree are supporting around but i don't want to diminish so we can kind of quickly talk about kate uh and quickly talk about kate gary mark um and then, like, we've already kind of mentioned Judy and her kind of her relationship and how that ends. Mm. But what do we th- like? This one is somewhat, it's an interesting bit. It's like you've got the, the powerful female CEO. You've got her younger love interest mm-hmm. who now works for them or for her. Uh, and he's feeling, uh, unrequited, uh, underused and having to be. I suppose slightly emasculated, it does start to come out that, that those feelings are there. Yeah. Uh, and then you have the younger version again, who is looking for a sales position and going to do an interview later. Mm-hmm. And then that spirals. What did you guys feel of this one? Yeah. It's an interesting story, isn't it? Because, you know, it's all set up when Mark walks into the diner and says he's got this interview coming up. And he's, and when Gary and Kate come in, he's told Kate is the CEO of the company or he's told that the person at that table is the CEO of the company and immediately assumes that it's Gary's at the CEO and suddenly the story is twisted. It's effectively Judy telling him, no, no, Kate's the CEO, Gary's the young trophy husband, uh, yes. effectively. So her it's all greatest achievement. Her greatest achievement. Uh, sorry, Beth's greatest achievement um, yeah. because Beth got them together. But the whole story's laid out there, but it is effectively saying right then and there there's some major trouble between Kate and Gary and Gary's Gary feels that he's completely underappreciated. He was taken off the street, effectively pulled into this business because that's what Kate wanted, but they have no real relationship outside of the facade that they put on when they come into the diner in front of Beth, because they kind of want to say to Beth, you were really successful in getting us together five years ago. It's like they're covering up this whole nest of what's going on in their home. You know, it's, it's really interesting. You hear it all break down throughout the episode as Gary reveals that actually he just sits as a good boy beside Kate. He does his job. He does whatever she wants him to do when in his company, but then he gets really, really bad when he's away from her company just to balance out the scales almost. Well, that's it. It's, it's the social lie, isn't mm. it? It's the keeping up appearances of, of what they are supposed to be. Yeah. Right. And that's the, the other angle to this. I mean, you could yeah. argue all of them are, but it, that, that's their primary one. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just found this, this storyline just so good mm-hmm. because 
I love that it just became this point of control and how the others felt control was happening mm-hmm. in in their relationship as well as the external appearance of that to people and it just as simple as ordering a salad yeah and you know you see gary going after the prompt from bet about well it's your anniversary have a burger and it's kind of you know you've got the niceties of well, it's our anniversary from Kate. You know, if you want to have it and you, you can, you can sense Gary weighing up the options in, in, in the brain mm-hmm. uh, as he's determining what's the best course of action here. Yeah. Simply to order a meal. Um, and, you know, he wants the double decker, but. He wants to have his cheat day for his anniversary, you know, we've yeah. all, we've all but, done that. But the shit. quiet life yeah. is for him to have the, the spinach salad. Yeah. And I love that it was, you know, just as sort of humdrum as that type of choice uh, and how that propels um, these two, you know, where Gary starts talking about sort of live fast, you know, enjoy himself, or he'll have sex with whoever. Mm -hmm. And Kate kind of knowing that this is, is there somehow in the background and then, you know, with Mark starts to possibly go through the same type of thing that she did when she met Gary originally, yeah. you know, and She's grooming him to become the next, the next it Gary. Was as he just, says, yeah. um, you know, just really good. And that Kate has not had sex with Gary. She knows he cheats. Um, and it's just all this really interesting kind of dynamic yeah. that, ends up really brutal for this thruple, Absolutely. effectively. And I suppose it, it means for me, Mark is the one I feel most sorry for in the diner almost. There's Definitely. things that everybody else has kind of done, um, maybe apart from Beth, but there's things that everybody else has kind of done that you can see why their stories should end. You know, that there, there should this couple should not be in a relationship, Kate and Gary. Marsh and Beth shouldn't be in a relationship. There's clearly some crazy things going on with them. Mark has walked in to go for an interview. Maybe John Diaz sensed he's going to be lying in his interview or something. But really what's happened here is he just gets pushed in the middle of this relationship and end off, ends off murdering somebody. Yeah. You know? And, and interestingly, earlier on, where Bet is trying to pair him up with, with Judy and he, mm-hmm. he's kind of taking cues from that and is doing a bit of chat with her. She's like, well, I just broke up with someone and I'm gay. You know, that kind of, so, Completely cut him off. Yeah. And it doesn't end, you know, he's not there with any relationship. He's there because he needs time to kill before his interview. Yeah. So although that said, he is pretty harsh to Judy when he, uh, when he tells his first honest truth directly out of his head to Judy, where she's trying to work out whether he has any coverage because she's wondering whether Donna's receiving text messages. And he goes, Oh yeah, she's received all your text messages. She's not, she just doesn't want to respond to you. That's why. And then goes, Ooh. I overstepped myself there. Um, so that was his first big harsh moment of the episode. But what about yourself, Chris? So that's exactly where my head was at. Like he's, he's the, the smiles, but kind of lies on, lies on the outside, harsh on the inside. So he's that gentleman who is all smiles and very happy and go lucky. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't done much to warrant, but he is, it's that barbed, Barbed attack. Attack is probably not 
the the barbed response to yeah. Judy, where I'm like, oh, they're kind of sprinkling in that he's not as nice as he he he's a bit too he he's just not a potentially a fully nice guy mm. underneath it. Um, all of the stories for me, all of them, they're they're okay people. Yeah, that's the whole bit I like about this, which is. On their own, they're doing things that you hear about in average life. Yeah. You hear about affairs. Mm-hmm. You hear about people just smiling through it, people going for interviews, lying in interviews. You hear all of it. It's it's an encapsulation of the episode of human life, of human existence. Yeah. Captured on a page where, or captured on film, where it is, what if everything was stripped back and ratcheted up to a hundred? Yeah, you cannot lie, and everything goes to that hundred. Emotions are overamped. On top of that, then you have someone's base desires, and I mean base desires in John D's desire for do this and now, and he's just like his ba- his whims on thoughts are enacted upon. Mm. And you end up getting this essentially pretty tough ending. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, and the point is, not one person in this room deserved what happens to them at the end. No, it's, no. It's, it's way too extreme beyond, even if you think some of them have done bad things in their life. Um, none of these people deserve what happens to them. You know, even Judy is revealed later on the reason why herself and Donna haven't spoken for the day and Donna walked out on her at midnight the night before it hasn't been in contact, whether it's revealed that Judy actually hit her during that, during their argument. She got so stressed out and Donna had done absolutely nothing. Um, Judy lashed out and, and hit her effectively. So even with those kind of revelations as you go along, nobody deserved what happened to them, uh, by the end of this episode. No, like Judy deserved to be single, not dead. Exactly. Exactly. Like the CEO and the husband deserved to be divorced, mm-hmm. not dead. Yeah. Um, I, it took me a second with Marsh to remember back that the kid was in college and I was like, Okay. Yeah, he's <laughs> not a pedophile. He's 21. A, he's 21. Sorry, he's an adult. Yeah. Yes, he's an adult. That's because I missed that part on my first viewing. Right. And I was like, oh, no. Like, yeah, kill him. He's fine. Just get Like, I'm happy with that. You're here to destroy that man. Yeah, that very clearly calls out. Uh, but he's just a child. And he says to her, he's 21, as in yes, maybe your exactly. child, as he always will yeah. be your child. But he's 21. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that one, I was like, that's okay. But uh, yeah, the rest of it, I, I think mm. none of them deserved it. No. The, it goes graphic. And this was the one I was like, some people, like, if you're not a fan of, I, I don't want to say, like, the hostile gore, <laughs> that yeah. type of, like, it's not as bad as that. But there was definitely, I was like, as if I'm a fan of that, like, the kind of gore horror. Mm-hmm. Um well, that sounds a bit strange, but I'm more a fan of like horror films, and one of those genres is the gore type. Yeah, there was a lot of fake blood, but it wasn't. Sounds terrible. Wasn't over the top. Like mm. she, like I, I think it, it perfect, it fit perfectly for this scene, this environment, this ratcheting up slower. Because I think John, you said at the beginning, like it, 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 this 
felt like in the last one, it was that dread from when he was in yeah. the mm-hmm. car. This felt like a contained horror film at the beginning. Absolutely. As exactly. it kind of continued and continued, yeah. where you had that just dread of well, what's going to happen to, yeah. oh, it's all kicking off and it's happening now and it's over the top to the end. Exactly. Yeah. And the other side of it is, and I guess this is in terms of, you know, with the death of them all, is that John's view is just so clean and simple in his mind mm. that he forgets that there are other emotions out there. It's not just simply about truth and lies. It's about the, how that makes them feel then. So you have the situation, at least how I was taking it, the situation where suddenly, even though you've just seen Gary and Marsh getting it on in the kitchen and there was Kate and Mark. He goes after Mark. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a jealousy there. There's an anger, um, that's, that's happened yeah. from, uh, the consequences of those moments, those particular moments where they've been together. Yeah. And then you have, you know, Mark protecting himself as he's being strangled, but it's a fork to the throat of, of Gary. Mm. So, and you have Bet being the one, as you said, Derek, that calls out, you know, how is this a better world? You know, mm. that there's something going on. Um, and, but John is, is like several, you know, degrees of, of separation from them. You know, in his view, it's all I did was take away the lies. Yeah. And now you're suffering because of it. And, and that's even... where he kicks it in, where you then get, as you say, yeah. Chris, the gore. And um, he says, well, if you're, you know, if you all love your suffering, then suffer. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and the, the you, your truth is to suffer. And that's what they do. Because I mean, some of them, you know, the nail to the hand that Mark does, and then he, cuts his hand off with a saw yeah you know um yeah we have we have judy cutting off her uh her tattoo of of donna from her body and then bleeding out we have Beth burning all of the pages of her book in the kitchen over the flames and leaves her hands in uh while they're burning and her hands are effectively fully burnt uh in there you've got marsh cutting off all the fingers of his hand um in the kitchen uh each individual finger and again bleeding out so all of these people are dead. And then we have a great moment from John D as he tries to work out what his future is now that this has taken place. What is the future that, that the world holds for John? And we have the three ladies, Kate, uh, Bess and Judy becoming the fates that we've seen yeah. earlier yeah, on. In it was the really good. That yeah. As it. they tell him, there's no future. First off, then they tell him a future that he will beat Sandman and take her. He will beat Morpheus and take, uh, the power of of the dreaming um so an interesting moment and i love again how they've incorporated the fates in here uh in this in this moment uh, take it directly from uh from the books as well yeah it was really cool mm. how it shifted between the fates and the people in the diner yeah, yeah really good yeah i think as well um bet has didn't she stab her eyes out in the end as well that is just before she becomes one of the fates yes, yes. he, he yeah. says uh, you can't see with your eyes you need to take out your eyes and then you can see um, yeah. So, yes. And then uh, the Lord of Dream arrives. Yes, he does finally. 
Um, yeah, it's taken a bit of time, you know. Yeah. Like, like he's been scouring the universe looking for this man. Well, no, I wanted to make sure we stressed it at the opening of the uh, of the synopsis for this episode. Morpheus was knocked out by trying to use the ruby last time because of what John D has done to it. So he's been unconscious this entire time, which is why he's arrived so late and why he can't do anything to save the patrons of the diner. If he'd arrived earlier, he could have twisted it and shaped it the way he does to show yeah. John uh, what had happened. Yeah, and as we said earlier in our podcast, he's not the Lord of Death. He's the Lord of Dreams. He can't bring people back to life. He Mm -hmm. can't go back in time. He can't do those things. Exactly. And it's great, though, that he comes in with his own truth, you know, or the truth, and he prefaces it with the truth of mankind is they're not lies but dreams mm. um their dreams inspire them and give them hope and you know, he goes through and I, I love where it's it's bet sort of greeting kate and gary and, mm. and you just get the sun coming back through the diner window where he's you know he talks about you know gary to do better than what his dad thought he could do mm-hmm. uh bet creating better worlds for others you yeah. know through how she carries herself as the waitress but yeah. also in her writing absolutely yeah. and it's a really interesting one because he's not saying the things that john d heard weren't lies he's saying this is what else is going on with these people if you're just taking just the lies out of context you're missing this whole yeah. part of them as humans you're yeah because he then he says them. if you take away their dreams mm-hmm. then yes this is mankind yeah but there's other things motivating them to say different things yeah uh, and do different things which you're construing as lying mm-hmm. yeah and john d destroys the ruby and we get the scene that i did not think they would do from the comic books mm, yes in the, they, re- in the realm of dreams where they have their final battle effectively which yeah. which it does feel like john d has won the battle yeah mm. oh definitely like and it's but it's even you know Morpheus saying, if you're going to rob a dream lord or the lord of dreams uh, and his power, you have to do it in his realm. Yeah. And um, so I thought that was kind of just, as you say, Chris, then going suddenly back to the realm of dreams was mm-hmm. really good because yeah. I think I'd seen that shot in one of the promo um, kind of teasers for, for this. And I was... Um, of John D, sort of in amongst all the burning um, and and melting palace walls mm. or, of of Dream's palace, I was wondering how's that gonna happen? <laughs> you know, when does that happen? How's yeah. that gonna happen? And certainly after seeing that it was actually Morpheus's palace, mm. uh, so this this was really really great actually yeah. just the again just the whole visual of it was like amazing absolutely for me it was just this the, the john standing in the hand mm-hmm. like that was just well that as well yeah that that's the one where i'm like it, it could have quite easily looked very badly done could it have really yeah. could have yeah. and except it was like no like you nailed that for what it was, the Absolutely. aesthetic that it was going for, and the, the more the like the impact, which is well, you've destroyed the ruby. You that power is mine now. Mm-hmm. It's come back to me. It was always a part of me. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, I I did wonder, you know, 
do they do big CGI Morpheus and normal sized um, John D, or is it normal sized Morpheus <laughs> and you do the CGI to make John D miniature? I think, I think it's or called they a take composite both of them shot. I think so and, as well. <laughs> and then it's so actually to be really, it's John D is really far away and Morpheus is really <laughs> exactly, close. And it's just a big plastic hand in between the two yeah. of them. Perspective. Um, no, I, I love it and I love the fact that it's, it comes from Morpheus when he gets all of his power back, not realising how much power he'd poured into his ruby over the over the centuries. Um, so when he gets the full power back, he, he himself almost realises, wow, I am actually way more powerful than I remember, yeah. uh, which I really like. I thought that was quite cool. I, I think as well what I really liked about this was just realizing how angry john d is to morpheus Mm -hmm. i mean i love the fact it goes back to roderick burgess uh, burgess's home and so he it's almost like he gets a potted life of his early years before he even knew about it and then he suddenly realized it's a dream and no, he his he just wants to. What does he say? Burn away the the lies of the dream realm. You know, your life, your lies, end now. Yeah. And he's just, you know, he didn't want to listen to the truth of mankind that Morpheus is telling him in in the diner. Well, so there's a real, real kind of anger and hatred here about what yeah. Morpheus is, and so. You know, in the end, I expecting that John D will be and probably should be back, um, because even though he's been placed back into uh, the institution, the asylum. I mean, yeah, institution, yeah, yes. the asylum. <laughs> um, so, uh, but I just really like that. You really mm. got the sense of his kind of animosity towards mm. this Lord of Dreams. Yeah. Personally, I think David Thewlis has a potential if they put the streaming show in for awards. Or the, I, I'm assuming they have to put this one in. Mm-hmm. Like this is because of the the quality of what the Sandman is. Yeah. Um, I think David Thewlis has a potential for best supporting actor with this with this yeah. role for these first few because he individually each episode he is a standout. Even in the short scenes, but the last two in particular, mm-hmm. the travel um, to get the ruby, and then this scene alone, this episode yeah. alone, you're like, oh yeah, like, what, like it's yeah. it, it just he he's chewing scenery at this end, yeah, where like he absolutely. is literally spitting and Definitely. like foaming. Mm-hmm. But it's even in the quieter scenes, though, as, as John exactly. was saying earlier on, those moments when he's watching on and willing people to not lie. So he, uh, but then when they do, you know, you can you can tell the reactions from him. He's such a good actor for yeah. those quick shots as well. It's really really good. So yeah, honestly, I think everybody has done such a great job in the show so far. But Thulis is uh, being having these two episodes really pinned on him. I think he's done such a brilliant job. But you know, he's one of those actors who's been around for such a long time uh, across uh, movies and TV shows for for a number of decades now at this stage. So it's great to see him in another really central role here. So yeah, uh, good stuff. Good stuff overall. Um, that's overall the episode. Any notes that we have uh, to talk about? I have a few myself. Go for it. 
First up, we see a very special appearance in this episode from Rose Walker as uh, a friend of Judy. We'll be seeing her later on this season because she's a, a quite a central figure in the story of Sandman, but uh, has a conversation with Judy on the phone. That's, uh, that's our Rose Walker uh, for the series. So we'll see her later on. Also, a quick note about the name of the episode. In the in the comics, this was 24-Hour Diner was the name of the episode, or 24 was how it's called out. The reason it's called 24-7 is because the two issues that uh, this covers are issue six and seven. Issue six was 24. Issue seven is issue seven. So 24-7 refers to the story 24 and issue seven of the comic book. Do you like that? Oh, interesting. Yeah. See, like it's that. not just 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's also got a little hidden meaning in there too. Yeah, I just assume it was like 24-7 diner type thing, like the the famous painting um, called Nighthawks, I think, where you've got famous mm. people in the diner, you know, being sort of looked at from outside, um, that type of thing. But um, yeah, it, probably it's, got elements of that as well. It does, yeah. um, It's just the double you know? meaning of it being 24-7 yeah. um, is why it wasn't called 24-hour diner, let's say. There you go. Great stuff. Anything else before we move on? Uh, nothing from me. No, nope, all good. So then, I must ask, Johners, what do you think of the Sandman? Chapter 5, 24-7. Uh, this was great. Uh, really, really great. I'd give it five terrifying eatings uh, out <laughs> of five. Um, yeah, so I really, really um, found this just absolutely fascinating. Mm. Uh, I think there's just so many elements here that I just really enjoyed. First and foremost, uh, like David Thewlis's performance. Um, I just l- loved how this orchestration of a world without lies, the simplicity of that, the unsuspecting nature of the victims being sort of caught in this new world order that he's trying to create. Um, the, the ordinariness of the situation. Um, that it, it's taking place in yeah. with all these different, um, you know, characters from the power couple of, of Gary and Kate to the, the two individuals trying to be put together by Bet in terms of Mark and, and, and Judy, but Judy with the, the broken relationship that's happened sort of, um, you know, the night before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just the complex, the complexity of bet, bet here and everything that's going on. Um, and certainly with, with Marsh, um, her, her, her secret crush, I guess, mm-hmm. ultimately. Um, so I just really like that, but it, it, I mean, the standout for me is Thulis. They're all great. Um, it, it descends into this terrifying, um, consequence of a world being stripped of, of, of lies and and it's just all the other feelings and consequences of that which then John D again just distills back to being about well if you're all suffering well then that's your truth so all suffer and the you see the ruby glow again yeah. and so they all suffer through various violent means um, of killing themselves. Yeah. So it was just su- superbly done. Um, and I loved him meeting Morpheus as well. Uh, the in the realm of dreams at the, at the palace and 
Uh, I mean, if there's only one slight thing, it's just, and I guess Morpheus forgot it too, so that's all right. But I mean, it, it, it seemed very quick for it all to be resolved, given where it was. I thought there would be something more to, to happen. Um, once the, the ruby crushed, was crushed by, um, by John D. I actually thought that would set up episode six okay. with something sort of, yeah. On, on, you know, in the, the different realms, or at least the dream realm, uh, to deal with, um, for, for Morpheus. Um, but, you know, I love just the, the hatred and, and anger, um, being directed at Morpheus by, by John D. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I suppose this was the quest that Morpheus has been on since the beginning of the season. We're now at the halfway point of the show, but this was the quest to get all of his, elements back and did you notice that he also incorporated those learnings from joanna constantine um he doesn't punish john d for what he's done he brings no. john d back to where he was saying effectively you didn't know what you were doing oh, with yourself yeah. so because of what had happened with um with joanna's girlfriend um back in the earlier episode so back in episode three so he's learning that's the whole the whole story here with Morpheus is he's developing, he's learning. He thought his quest was to get all my elements power back. I'll become the most powerful being in the dream realm again. He gets them back, and his first act is an act of kindness. Almost, he's he's not going to punish. No, John. absolutely, so, absolutely, um, for sure. But um, for some reason, I felt there might be another hour of an episode dealing with that crushing of the ruby and it going a bit more. Kind of dream world. I mean, even just from I think what was it episode um, three, mm -hmm. where he he plunges into the the sea of dreams and so on. Yeah. You've got uh, Cain and Abel, or episode two. Mm. I, I don't know. Just I thought there was. I thought getting the ruby back was going to possibly be a two episode because of the fact you have John D crushing his palace yeah. and destroying the ruby in that moment well um but but that's just a small thing of my expectation because i loved how the story played out so well uh, i absolutely give this five terrifying eatings out of five well let's have a look at episode six uh before we cover it next time because you might find there's a few connections you may have missed yeah um, maybe so there are there are some connections to this and, and throughout the rest of the season it, as well yeah. so um we will see. Derek, what were your final thoughts on this episode? Absolutely loved this episode. Much better than the Jim Carrey movie, Liar, Liar. Um, <laughs> really? Hey, hey, hey. Oh, no, 100%. Yes, def no definitely better, Jim but not Carrey. 100 I, times. I will always diss that movie. It's terrible. Um, but, no, absolutely loved this episode. It is, it is the creepiest episode. I think this is the one that uh, erroneously kind of garnered the uh, reputation that Sandman is a horror book. Um, yeah. that that was what Sandman was about. Sandman is a, is a book about every type of story and horror forms part of that. Um, and that's why it has been so loved over the decades since it came out because it can tell individual stories in whatever way it deems for each individual issue. This is probably the first big standalone story. Um, Morpheus only appearing at the end of the episode to wrap it up and it really is all about all of the characters that you meet here and who they are, what they go through within this 
individual story and then it wrapping up with uh, Morpheus coming back to take his power back. Um, I loved how this was told. Uh, I really enjoy how they updated it and really enjoyed how the characters interact with each other differently. And I absolutely love the tension that is going on throughout it. Uh, there's some podcasts that play music behind uh, behind their podcasts when they're when they're talking. I was thinking of putting the Joker theme behind uh, behind mm. us as we were talking that really ratcheting theme from uh, from the Dark Knight Rising yeah. right from the Dark Knight because that's what this episode feels like Definitely. throughout. There's even some great moments of um, how it's been filmed with this amazing moment that feels like something out of Twin Peaks. It feels like something out of David Lynch. They're really pushing you into those kind of horror or those kind of uh, places when you're watching this episode this this real darkness as everything is rising and i love how callous john d is by the end of it where he's kind of saying you know if you didn't want to kill someone well you wouldn't have killed them because i've just made lies disappear in the world so you've just done exactly what you were supposed to do um he's just absolutely awful by the end of the episode but not the DC villain that he was in the comic books. They've created a really interesting character here, played brilliantly by David Thillis, and I'm I'm so glad we got to see something like this on screen. But um, I, I'm intrigued to hear uh, some of the feedback on this as well. And I was really interested to hear your guys' thoughts overall. What about, what about yourself, Chris? I'd love to hear your kind of wrap-up for the episode. Not much more to add, actually. Um, like, for me, this was shocking, heart-wrenching, visually standing um in terms of the the level of blood mm-hmm. um and just well adapted mm-hmm. uh, and i like how they have amended i don't want to say amended the character amended the story because it hasn't really it's t- tweaked like mm. it's like it's not a full ad- adaptation into it, it's a strange one they've kept a lot of the core bits but brought it into a lot more nuance that I didn't I didn't capture in my first readings mm-hmm. um and again like you said it's John D was a was a was a villain very much a DC villain which mm-hmm. are sometimes fantastic joker yep. sometimes not frogman there's <laughs> probably a frogman I, I think frogman's uh, actually marveled oh god oh my weird. god even worse <laughs> um we i will i will also say that the look of john d in the comic books you would never let him sit in your diner um no. he, he looks absolutely terrifying in the comic books he's a big red skull uh, effectively yeah. so uh with the hair streaming out of his head so uh, you definitely wouldn't be sitting uh next to him in a diner i don't think no no i think you'd just call the police yeah or Captain America, Red Skull. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Chris. Anyway, um, I really look. I I love this, and I I I think one of the the core things for me is this shows what this show can be. The comic book was every type of story. This show can be every type of show mm-hmm. in yeah. one, and I think that gives you the options. Um, but that is our thoughts for the chapter five episode. 24-7 of The Sandman. We are going to go over to get your feedback. But before we do, we want to shout out and thank all of our Patreons for keeping this podcast going because we don't have John D. We don't have a wishing gem. We don't have that ruby. <laughs> so we must keep our energies going and keep our thoughts powered by the one and only caffeine yes 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 thank you to all of our patreons 
for supporting us. Absolutely. Thanks so much to everybody that supports us over on Patreon, everybody that supports us by sharing the podcast. Because uh, sharing the podcast is... It's sharing the love. Absolutely. Yes. I certainly need it after this episode. Definitely. Yes, you can support us for any amount on a monthly ongoing p- way over on patreon.com slash TV podcast industries. Or if you want to make one one-off donation, you can head on over to buymeacoffee.com slash TVPI. But you can also share the podcast, as Derek said, or you can also support us by sending us your feedback that we read out here on this podcast, right here where I'm speaking, because you know what? We're going to get over to your feedback right now. You can send us your feedback to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or you can head on over to our socials and get us there and leave it. More importantly, if you head on over to our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash tv podcast industries there's a spoiler post for each and every episode and you can leave your thoughts on there to hear our dulcet tones reading them out for you speaking of our first piece of feedback is an email from the one lonely coffee and vodka who had some thoughts about episode five when he said greeting fellow diner detained defenders this is a good change john d obsessed with truth rather than toying or experimenting with others, looking to make a better world in his own demented way, if it worked for Thanos. <laughs> anyway, short of bringing in Kripke as a temporary showrunner, I wondered how they bring this one to screen. In many ways, before watching them, I'd held up Morbius' trip to hell and Dr. Destiny's Diner as the litmus test of how the series was to go. And both are excellent, removing any further previewing trepidations. As always, supplying a much desired episode ending. Great, all the way around. Five blue plate specials, dead diners, and D diary moments out of five. Peace and take care, coffee and vodka. Excellent stuff, Coffee and Vodka. I'm glad uh, you're really on board with this one. I know um, your feedback on, on the fourth episode as well. You were a, a big fan of that one. But this is, as you say, the litmus test for fans. If they can accomplish doing a horror episode in the middle of this, what some people may have thought from the beginning was a fantasy series or some people may have thought was a historical series because of how the series started at the start. If they can pull off doing these kind of episodes that that you don't even have any of your major characters other than John D, who's been a minor character for the first couple of episodes. Yet you have this entire new cast and they've pulled it off so well as a a really scary episode. So uh, I think they've done a great job. Yeah, good stuff. Thanks, Coffee and Vodka. Uh, Over on our Facebook group, Victor Von Doom says, Greetings, dreamers. That was one fantastic Twilight Zone-like episode. Nice to see Dream get his mojo back. Nighty-night, dreamers. Yeah, thanks so much, Victor Von Doom. Great to get your thoughts in. Thanks, Victor. Thanks, Victor. Uh, Next up, Doug Green. My wife always talks about how trippy Westworld is. I warned her about this series that it would be more intense. We got to this episode and just kept saying, oh, my God. And I reminded her that I did warn her. (laughs) (laughs) Doug. Yes, I think... Warning labels, indeed. Yeah. Uh, Michael Booth also says on Facebook, Oh gosh, it's been a few years since I read the comics and I only read the first few collected volumes. But as soon as John sat down in the diner, I had some flashbacks remembering what was in store. A rough watch and probably the first time in five episodes the show 
justified its Australian R18 plus rating. I'm not entirely sure the episode was worth its payoff at the end about lies versus dreams, but it gave good insight into what happens when power is held by those not equipped to wield it mm-hmm. and was an impactful conclusion to what feels like the first arc of the season. Dream is back, powered up and ready to go for whatever his sibling is about to throw at him. And I can't wait to get into the next half of the show. Good stuff, Michael. Uh, great to uh, get your views mm-hmm. uh, on that uh, for sure. And uh, yeah, definitely, um, I think, uh, very impactful uh, episode, at least for me as well. Yeah. I'm definitely with you there and yes that little kind of you know laughing sort of uh diabolical laughing desire at the end i thought was very interesting Mm. because um that's that's basically his sister so um who knows how bad she's gonna be well (laughs) i have two of them and they're lovely of course well you never know we will learn more about desire as the show goes on and see what their um connection is to dream yes, I think, and yes. what exactly Can't it is they bring to the show it'll be it'll be interesting to see thanks so much for that michael dr bob phillips says this episode is the chapter in the audiobook i listened to without a break in it i think i first saw what was being told a story about how stories fictions are necessities how dreams are the hopes that keep us human i knew it would be unflinching given the previous episodes and it proved so it feels right this arrived at the midpoint of the season Totally agree, Bob. This is exactly the right point where you where you need to do it. And it's you know, if you put the order of him getting back each of the uh, the pieces of his power effectively, this is exactly the right point. You have this now separation coming for the rest of the season and what it's gonna be like now that you have a Morpheus with all of his stuff back as well. Yeah. So uh, this really scary episode is his final test, I suppose, before he gets back to becoming the true Morpheus. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, Bob. Thanks, Bob. Ben Rush says, this is one I plan to watch at a later date as I found the comic and audio the hardest sections to deal with. Um, this was echoed in, in a number of comments that I saw on Facebook. I just wanted to pull out a representative of it, but there were about three or four of our fellow dreamers who were going to either save this episode or at least they watched it once and won't be watching it again, even though they found it a great episode. It's a difficult watch, so totally understand why uh, why it may not be to everyone's taste to rewatch it over and over again. Uh, yeah. Thanks, Ben. It's a horror film. Exactly. Exactly. Thanks, Ben. Laura Willie Swink says, of all the issues of Sandman, this is the one I was most worried about adapting to screen, not only because of the content, but because of the execution. Since the comic story was mostly narration, thoughts and inner monologuing, I wasn't sure how they would pull it off. But pull it off they did, and with thankfully less of the more brutally horrific parts of the story. Oh yes, New Recruits, the comic was darker. So much darker. But I do see what they were doing with John D, and in fact the show in general. Each episode seems to be getting infused with a bit more humanity or commentary on him, on humanity. John's naive dream of an honest world justifies his actions and makes him a saviour in his own eyes, rather than the sadistic D we got in the comics, who played with his puppets in the diner like a cat with a mouse before carelessly dispatching them all. The direction of the episode was phenomenal, with the lighting of the diner staring out bright and sunny and slowly dipping into darkness as the screws begin to tighten. Definitely. The scene where John walks through the diner observing his victims en route to get a bucket of ice cream felt very David Lynchian, and the uncomfortableness of it all reflected in red neon lights. I am so grateful for that small 
scene with Dream explaining to Dee those little lies we tell each other might just be humanity trying to achieve its dreams. This is the Shakespearean tragedy reset that we sort of lacked in the comic, and seeing Dream in the end lie John Dan back in the hospital bed as if he were a parent putting a babe to sleep after releasing him from the ruby was lovely. The final shot of desire filled me with glee. It's hard to say this was an episode I enjoyed, but as a creative piece that faithfully represented the story, I give it a four and a half double-deckers out of five. Mm, tasty, mm-hmm. tasty stuff, Lara. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm and not too sure whether Lara means buses or those lovely chocolate bars. No, well, I was thinking it was the burger from okay. the episode. Oh, that too. Yes. yes. Four and a half of those. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a lot. Gosh. Well, I think, didn't Gary almost get four of them? Think, Pretty yeah, much. Four, three well, cooked for him, definitely. Certainly yeah. three were, were cooked for him. Um, but yeah, I could do with one of those slathering burgers with double cheese double bacon double this double that and <laughs> double heart attack i guess I at the so. end of it oh my God. i yeah. am starving now i am really <laughs> really hungry but uh, uh laura yeah i i think um the the whole thing you was talking about around the lighting of the diner starting mm. out bright and sunny and as the the storms roll in that you're hearing on the the weather forecast on the TV, it just it gets darker and darker and darker, uh, and with the red neon lights and even the dark blue of the kitchen as well from mm. the the kind of flycatcher light, really really good. But just you know bringing it back when Dream talks uh, as he does to D. Uh, explaining about those little lies and you get that infusion of light back through the window of the diner yeah. uh, over the table where Gary and Kate are and, and Bet is, is taking their order. Just really great, um, direction mm-hmm. uh, and just the whole process thematically really nice. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Excellent stuff. Glad you enjoyed it, Lara. Uh, or at least can respect it as a great piece of of, uh, of creative translation because I totally get what you mean. This is not a story uh, I think anybody uh, can enjoy as such, but uh, we can certainly see what's so great about it. Yes, thank you so much, Lara. And thank you for everyone who sent in the feedback for this episode. I'm off now to get myself a double-decker bar <laughs> followed by a double-decker Burger followed by another double deco bar. And on a double deco bus. Oh, you go. oh my God, yeah. Or a double deco train if I really want to yes. get fancy. Fantastic. Exactly. Yes. We hope you stay subscribed to the podcast and enjoy what you hear. Why not share it with your friends? Because sharing the podcast is. It is sharing the love. Absolutely. Yes. Lots more to come on TV Podcast Industries. We're closing out uh, our Umbrella Academy podcast at the moment. Uh, also covering She-Hulk every week, Marvel She-Hulk. And I uh, like comedy show uh, to go along yes. with our uh, our deep um, Sandman coverage. Every yes, week exactly. Well. Yes. But that is it. We will be back with Chapter 6 of The Sandman, The Sound of Her Wings. <sighs> Oh, I can't wait to talk about yes. that one. Yes. My favourite comics of all time. I cannot wait uh, to discuss that episode. Yes, it is definitely going to be one for the ages. <laughs> it will. Here we are. See what I did there? You'll get worried, fellow dreamers. You'll get it next episode. For now, we will speak to you again soon. Bye. Yeah, thanks so much, fellow dreamers. Great chit-chatting as always about the sandman uh, but in the meantime remember keep watching keep listening and keep dreaming 
Nicey night. Bye. Bye.